the Trinity. We shrouded with incredible mystery, wonder, and awe. We can't even begin to grasp uh, three in one, eternal, immortal, invisible, glorious. Thank you for sending, Father, your Son, that's standing before us on earth, the Creator God, Sustainer. How do we understand that? Wow. And yet we see demonstrated in so many things in the life of the Lord. Thank you so much. It reminds me, Lord, uh, as uh, you press toward Jerusalem to suffer, you were uh, with dogged tenacity and focus and passion and energy and right at the right moment on the right day as you press toward that uh, week of suffering. We call it the passion, suffering, and, and uh, even as you move through the crowds. Like, uh, I suppose, a middle linebacker going right to the quarterback to where the ball is with a dogged tenacity and focus, a gazelle-like intensity to live your life for us. That's amazing when you think of it, Lord, when I think of our life, my life, that you should so die a sinless Savior, God made flesh, the seed of the woman, the second Adam, the son of man, the lamb of God for sinful people like me, like us. Oh Lord, thank you for the great love of God and the grace of God, your faithfulness. And we love you so. Open the word and teach us now, Lord, the things that you have for us. Help us to deal with our sin daily. Forgive us, Lord, as Jesus taught us. Father, forgive us of our trespasses, and we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, search our hearts. We know it grounds the great working of God. May we be being filled with spirit. May the Spirit of God and the fellowship of the Spirit, may we come to know what the wonder and the joy and the blessedness that is and teach us your word now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, take, your, take your Bible and turn to uh, the book of Romans. <clears throat> I've entitled the, uh, the message in this uh, five-part series, Sola Fide. You see it on the sheet. Sola Fide. You say, what in the world is that? It sounds like a disease. No, sola fide uh, is one of the five exclamations or declarations of the Reformation. We saw last week sola scriptura, and uh, it's a Latin phrase, sola, you know the word sola, solo, it comes to us right in the English, means alone or only. If you fly as a pilot solo, there's no one else flying but you. So we know sola and scriptura. Scripture, that's, well, that's a no-brainer. Our authority in life is only the scriptures. We saw that last time. And in fact, uh, I, want, uh, uh, I want some help. Paul, could you help me with this? And Ron, could you pass? Make sure these are... Keep a couple of. I wanted our, our men's fraternity had this. I wanted to make this available to everyone. Uh, in uh, kind of just uh, putting a, a capstone on what we learned last week on sola scriptura, our authority is only the Bible. I hope that you're coming to love your Bible more and more and more as the Holy Biblios. It's the unique book, the book of all books, and I have. Uh, I have this little, this little poem, 
that uh, I gave copies out to the men's fraternity when we studied it this, uh, this last year. And I just thought uh, our general church family ought to have that. I suggest, if you're like that, some of you like can't write in your Bible, you know, ask God to forgive you and learn to write in it, underline it, write in the margins and all that. But I, I, would, I would write this inside your Bible. I had this in losses. Paul helped me find it again from years ago and to put it, write it inside my Bible and it just says it so wonderfully uh, the, the place of God's word in your life. It's like Psalm 119. The word of God in the man or woman of God. You know thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Anyway look at this. We've traveled. Uh, let's everybody get a copy of it yet. Just, I just want you this little ditty. Th it's really a piece of gold. Did you get one, babe? Up here, we, we need some more. Here's some here. Everybody get a copy of it. Stay, at least stick it in your Bible if you're not going to write in it. But look, let's read it together. We traveled together, my Bible and I, through all kinds of weather, with smile or with sigh, in sorrow or sunshine, in tempest or calm, thy friendship unchanging, my lamp and my psalm. We've traveled together, my Bible and I, when life has grown weary and death even was nigh. But all through the darkness of midst or of wrong, I found there a solace, a prayer and a song. So now who shall part us, my Bible and I? Shall isms or schisms or new lights, who try? Shall shadow for substance or stone for good bread supplant thy sound wisdom, give folly instead? Oh no, my dear Bible, exponent of light, thou sword of the spirit, put air to flight, and still through life's journey until my last sigh, we'll travel together, my Bible and the eye. Isn't that a beautiful little piece of gold? They want us to, uh, again, put that in the back of your Bible, transcribe it into the front of your Bible, and uh, that will be a blessing to you. Well, uh, I wonder, have you ever really been lost? I mean, really lost without a clue as to where to go. Have you ever? Have you had that experience? And, and especially at night, doesn't that compound the fear of it? I mean, men, let's face it, we're, we really appreciate garments and, uh, and that kind of a thing. That helps. But sometimes, have you noticed the garments goof up? The, they have. People have come to my house, they said, you know, Garmin said you lived at the other end of the street. I said, yeah, I may. I may. Maybe I'm in the wrong house. I don't know. <laughs> but sometimes they goof up on that. But uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a really helped the men because while we're driving, a lot of times we think being lost out driving, especially at night, and Faith will say, uh, the, are you lost? And I'm like, uh, no. But you know, in my heart, I know I'm lost. You know, like, but I, yeah, and, and men almost never stop. Never stop to ask for directions, right? I don't know what it is. It's in our DNA. And Faith goes, there's a gas station want to stop. Well, they don't know where it is. I go like, well, why stop? And the, 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 the biggest puzzle for a guy is when he realizes that he's going the wrong way, he's got to go back, is how do I do a UB without being obvious? So that, you know, Faith, you go around the block here and she won't realize we're going back. 
but uh, that, that, that has actually uh, happened, sort of. But um, if you're lost and you're in the city maybe and, you know, a panic can set in and, and all that kind of thing, it's a frightening thing. The Apostle Paul in, uh, in, in Romans 3 tells about our standing before God and tells us that all people everywhere, not just the Jews, but the non-Jews, the Greeks, uh, we are born lost, not spatially lost, not lost in direction, but spiritually lost as sons and daughters of, of our first parents, hopelessly lost. And that's the way we were born into this world. Now, if you have Romans 3, I just, just to show you what Paul is saying here, look at 3. And uh, let's just pick it up at verse 9. I just want to read this. The, this. I call it an anatomy of depravity because he's really looking at our, our body and showing how depraved we are by nature. Maybe not as bad as we could, but there is a sin bent of death within us. Look at uh, 3.9 of Romans. What then? Are, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks, that's uh, non-Jews, are under sin, as it's written, and here we go, none is righteous, uh, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's all people. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruined and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know, here's the summation now. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth, every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God for by the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Wow, he has just, Paul's just laid out this anatomy of depravity in our situation, your situation and mine, just by being born into this world is desperate. Eternity hangs in the balances. That's what's in play, eternity, where you will stand, spend the rest of your existence forever. I mean, it's, a, it's an issue of major import and it hangs and we ask the question and since we are lost spiritually born lost what is the way to God how shall we find him how shall we be made right with God God uh, that he would uh, accept us and receive us into his home forever last week we studied as mentioned the first of the five Latin phrases that emerged from the Re Reformation that summarized the essentials of the Christian life and practice last time sola scripture only the Bible. Today's sola fide. This is sometimes called the material cause or principle of the Reformation because it was the central doctrinal issue for Martin Luther. It's a central doctrinal issue between Christianity, biblical Christianity, and all other forms of Christianity, shall I say it, all other religions and cults. For only biblical Christianity tells what God did 
to save us. And he did it all. Lesser forms of Christianity attempt to set up a scale of men or men and women doing something to please God. And that's all world religions. You know, someone said you can put all the religions in one uh, of two categories. Uh, that which is done, the finished work, completed, that's biblical Christianity. And then all the others, uh, that which one is trying to do, to please God, to jump through the hoops, that hopefully God will save them at the point of death. I mean, you see it everywhere. You see it's in the common culture. You know, he's a good man. God will accept him. I mean, that's an expression of a wrong Christianity, you see. Oh, he keeps the golden rules. Oh, he did more good than evil. You know, this kind of thing. Meritorious, earning one's way to God. Impossible. It's impossible. You can't do it. And yet... Uh, uh, that is being, that's preached and taught in churches and places and in great ways and small that name the name of Christ. And all world religions are works type oriented on how to appease and please God. Well, sola fide describes uh, this important fundamental cause of the Reformation. Only faith. Only faith. Now, I love to preach on faith. I love to preach. I'm, I'm married to a beautiful woman named Faith. You know, I, I do. I, I, I married Faith. I love to preach on faith because what? I was saved by faith. Okay. Uh, I walked by faith. And then one day I married Faith. It has been great. And then uh, we walked together by faith. I had three children. I have four granddaughters. And at one point we pastored a church named Faith. Right? Faith, Baptist, faith. <laughs> and uh, what else? Oh, we look forward by faith, right? We're trusting the Lord for today and tomorrow and all our days forward. So uh, I, love to, I love to preach on faith. I, in fact, when my kids were little, uh, I would sing a little ditty to them as they got ready to go to Sunday school. Then we had Sunday school at 945 and worship at 11. And I, I you know how you act silly. It's so great to do that. Uh, everybody loves to go to Sunday school, Sunday school, Sunday school. Everybody loves to go to Sunday school at Faithy's Baptist Church. And, oh, Dad. Oh, Dad. You know, they were real little. Oh, Dad. That's not the name of it. But I would, I would just, with excitement, want, to, want them to embrace that and know that church is a wonderful place to be where they meet God and learn about his word. Wow. Well, three questions then. Uh, helping us to grasp the meaning of being justified by faith alone. Because that's certainly what sola fide means. If you can say sola fide, you know Latin. There you go. You're, you're ahead of you. Say, boy, I'm getting educated there by my pastor maybe. Uh, three questions, real simple. Uh, we're going to ask the question, you can see on the sheet, what's it mean to have faith? Uh, second, what is saving faith? And third, what does it mean to be justified by faith alone? The sola fide. Okay, so I'm going to use 
some 50 cent words here, but the words, if you've been saved very long, they ought to become part of your vocabulary. And you ought to be able to, the, the distinction between the two. Now, don't talk this way with people that don't know the Bible or don't know the Lord and, or, or that. They won't know these terms, but you can learn these. They describe some of the great workings of God for us on our behalf and saving us. For, you see, these three questions will help us grasp the meaning of being just by faith alone for this is the only way to be right with God. It is the only way. In a world that hates that, in a world of pluralism and muddiness of thinking and thought, a world that has rejected anything absolute, I mean, that is a sign of certainly an ignoramus today. If you're highly educated and you say, this is the truth, after all, you know, everything is tentative, everything is relative and suspect to change. And for you to say, there is such a thing as absolute truth, well, you're, you're some sort of prehistoric dinosaur or something. Well, that's the satanic uh, corruption of a language and of a people and of a world and life view. For God has spoken, and that is absolute truth. There are certain things that are not of equal weight. My opinion is not equal to God's opinion. And when God has spoken in his word, you can count on it. God said it, and that settles it. Dottie reminded me that last week, the, the expression, God said it, uh, I, uh, I, I believe it, and that settles it for me. And Dottie's pastor of yesteryear said, it really doesn't matter if you believe it. It really is that subjective element. Forget God said it, and that's it. And that's right. And I said the last week, hear the word of Jesus over and over and over. It is written. It is written. And if you question on, on, uh, on even uh, cosmology and origins and all that, uh, one day he was being asked about marriage, and he goes like, he points back at Adam, and then he points back at Eve, and then he points back at Noah. He didn't have a problem with the historical record of the text of the only book God ever gave. It is written. In fact, he said another time, not one jot nor one tittle, they're the smallest little marks in the Hebrew, uh, will pass away till heaven and earth pass away, till all the word is fulfilled. So in other words, you can count on it. This is not Washington, where infinitely more things are ever said than done, right? This is God's word. And when he says it, you can count on it. It's, it's it. And God tells us there's only one way to be right with him. Only one way. If there's more than one way, it's real simple. Jesus didn't need to come. He didn't need to die. He didn't need to suffer. I mean, if you could be a good Muslim, I've seen Muslims by the thousands, five times a day, bending down and praying, thinking they're pleasing Allah through Muhammad, his prophet. They're lost. The world that we live in says, oh, it's just another way of finding heaven, finding God. Don't all roads? No. No. Hear Jesus' words in Matthew 7 again in that great sermon on the road. Wide is the way and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many are on that path. Narrow is the way and few are those that find life through Jesus. He said of the Jews, you say, well, aren't the Jews God's people? Did you ever read that closely, what he said in talking to the Jews? You are, are of your father, the devil. Now, that's a terrible thing to say if all roads are going to heaven, right? Yeah, he's talking to his brothers about, you're of the devil. 
No, they were in darkness. They hated the God. They would have loved him and received him if they had been saved and regenerated, but they rejected him. The only way to God is through sola fide, and that's what we're going to look at today. Well, what's it mean to have faith? Look at our text now in Romans 3. It's mentioned, this, this idea of faith in verse 22, 25 through 28, 30, and 31. And so let's, let's just pick it up in 21 because 321 to the end, now that the whole world is lost by birth, Paul's argument now in the next several chapters is how will men and women be, be made right before holy God? It's, it's an enormous question, and he's going to unfold. And that whole process is called justification. How will a man or woman, sinful, corrupt, be made right before God without impugning his holy character? You see, God can't just wink at sin. Oh, that's okay, I'll grade on an average and you all get in. God is, that's, that's because of our muddled, unholy, unrighteous standing. And our hearts are dirty. God is absolutely holy and cannot do that. But he bears the burden to provide the only solution. And it's in the sending of his son. And in that process, provides salvation. Justification. So look at verse 21 and following. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed or manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that means satisfaction, by his blood to be revealed by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, be just, that's righteous, and the justifier, in other words, savior, of the one who has, there it is, faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? He's talking to the, to the Jews, I suppose. It is, a, it is excluded, or those that think of their works. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, he's the God of the Gentiles. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith, or Jews, and the uncircumcised, that's all the rest of us, through faith, do we then overflow, overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. Meganoito, he says. Absolutely. God forbid. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Go into chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Well, what does the scripture say? And this is Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed, there it is, faith. He believed God, and it was counted, that's a key word, imputed, reckoned, if you will. And by believing, it was reckoned to him righteousness. 
Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work, but believes, there's faith, in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is the very core of the most important question, how will a man or woman be made right before holy God? And the reformers had it right. It was not works at all. It wasn't Jesus and me, Jesus and you. It was sola fide, sola fide, faith alone, only faith. Well, what's it mean to have faith? Let's look at it. In our day, faith has several meanings. It can be used as little more than a mere opinion, right? We use it that way. It's just not a religious term. Like, for example, I might say, ah, I really believe the Buffalo Bills are the best team in NFL. <laughs> I believe that. You go like, he's lost his mind. It's, a, it's merely the expression of, uh, of an opinion, right? Uh, you know, it's groundless. Yeah, it's pretty, gr yeah, it's pretty groundless. You know? <laughs> but uh, not, nevertheless, I believe there that, you know, Hope against hope kind of an expression, but it's a mere opinion. A second, it can be used uh, to express certainty, presuppositions assumed to be true by fact, and everybody has this. We all accept certain things as true, and we build our discussions from that. It doesn't matter if uh, uh, we're scientists. You, you, there are certain uh, things that we assume to be true. And then we go from there. If you're, if you're a, uh, a person who does not know Christ and you reject the authority of God's word, maybe you don't even know it, you've been uh, sort of indoctrinated, if you will, if you've gone through and very far in the educational system. There are certain things that you will embrace as true. Let's say you're in educational circles and uh, it's very common in our day to, to, to teach this assumption that children are innocent and born, born good. And that, I mean, that's, that is embraced, and then it's embraced in the educational circle, it's, it's embraced in, in the law, you know, and we say, let a child lead us, you know, like, what kind of insanity is that, you know, they're innocent, they're not innocent. They're more innocent insofar exposure to sin and the, and the rough corrupting effects of others, true, but they're born with a bent, and it will be revealed uh, to hate God. And that's why Proverbs is the manual for raising children. You better discipline them, and you better pray, and God is the one who will work, but he'll work through you. He's just like, your kids are just like you. They're stubborn little thorns that need a good whack in the side of the head. Some of you more than others. Look, I jumped down and joined you. I'm speaking to you, but I'm speaking to me, right? I had a father who was uh, raised in, in a military school, so I guess that's what I needed. <laughs> I needed a lot more than I got it, but uh, I told my mother that. She, oh, no, you're so, oh, please, Mom, you've lived too long. Anyway, <laughs> they tend to forget, don't they? Isn't that neat? They sort of forget all those dead things. I, uh, anyway, that's one. It's embraced. Children are good. In science, if you do much in science, and some of you have, there are certain assumptions that evolution is true. Micro evolution, we all know adaptation with a kind, that's true. I mean, that, that's simply genetics, but macro, historical, philosophical, evolutionism, evolutionism, you know, historic evolution, you can't prove it, it's a philosophy. It's not something you in a lab, you, you weigh it, measure it, and describe it, the molecular composition of it. It's none of that. It's like, well, 10 billion years ago. Really? Can you weigh that, measure that in a lab? Can you have a variable? No. 
What is it? Well, I, I assume that to be true and I move out from that. Everybody has assumptions they assume to be true uh, or you would not get out of bed in the morning. For example, all of you are sitting on a chair, right? Now, did you really look at that chair before you placed your, yourself on it? Thinking that, I wonder if this thing can hold me up. You know, no, none of you did that, really. You just intuitively you had good experience. Most chairs have held you up. And so you just, you know, plant yourself on it. And by faith, you do that. Same thing with an airplane, right? Yeah, same thing with an airplane. We just, uh, you know, I've flown before. I'm not that nervous. But I'm in something that's heavier than air. And it's moving at great speeds. And uh, I have no control. But I assume that although I'm sitting in this thing, you know, it's uh, I, I'm, by faith. We all operate in a faith system. I get tired in our culture. People say, well, are you a person of faith? Yeah, and so are you. We all are. We stand on this uh, planet that's hung by nothing. Nothing. There are no strings attached. <laughs> that's usually used in a different context. There are no strings. And then this thing, this, uh, the, uh, the forces, centripetal forces, the elliptical orbit, and even, even Copernicus, Copernicus, you know, the earth goes around. They have discovered now everything's moving. The sun is moving too. The sun is moving, the earth, the solar, and like, holy macaroni, this is, wow. And we take that by faith, right? Don't we? We do. Well, it's used that way to express certainty. Second, uh, we'll say it, well, the sun will come up tomorrow. Uh, uh, and with that, I did want to say that because we use phenomenal, it's a fancy word, I love to say it, phenomenological language. Language of appearance is what that means. We're like, oh, we live in a scientific day and, and you shouldn't talk that way. We all know the sun doesn't come up, the earth is spinning, right? But you go and watch on, on, the, on the weather tonight, right? They'll say sunrise, sunset, like the sun. We, we talk in language of phenomena of appearance. And when the Bible uses that, don't attack that when it talks about that. It's just using common sense, ordinary language so that people understand that. Uh, faith sin. Well, uh, we, uh, three, it is used in the Bible, this word faith to express what? Childlike trust that one has in believing upon Jesus. And I relate to that. The, the longer I go, the more I see maturity in the Christian life is to be like a kid. And since in a lot of ways I'll tell Faith, well, I don't, I don't want to grow up. I like being a kid, you know. It's easy for me, you know. You know, my folks would say things like, you know, the tooth fairy. I figured that out pretty quick. I helped pull some teeth out, put a tooth under, got a quarter. I guess they get like, what do they get now? A couple dollars? Dave, what do they get? Oh, yeah, the tooth fairy doesn't go to your place? Anybody give me an idea? It's inflation. And yeah, go ahead. Lexi? What? One dollar, you give it to her, is it under their pillow? Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're my, I go like, wow, this is great. You know, I wish I had a few more teeth, you know. <laughs> that was a, I only got a quarter then. You know, and a big fat guy came down the chimney. I, you know, my folks said it, and I'm like a kid, I go, well, okay. Uh, my mother never could get to the Easter Bunny because that she thought, and rightfully so, that was such a blasphemous attack against the resurrection, the wonder of our Lord and Savior, you know. But, you know, when I was a little kid, my father in the backyard said, see the sun's going down there? Yeah. The, I said, where's it going, Dad? He said, it's setting behind Carl Kendall's garage. <laughs> I said, is that right? I actually went down there to see. <laughs> my father said... That is the same kind of faith a mature man or woman has 
in trusting Jesus. Now we laugh at that, we relate to that, we were all there, some of you are still there, what, there's no Santa Claus, you know. But that's the kind of thing that a Christian does as we grow in grace. We realize, holy macaron, it's all, my heart, next heartbeat, the breath, the sun, the distance, life, everything is ordained of God. And that he loves me and I trust him and he died for me and heaven is much better by far. You see, that's it. It's, it's, that's biblical faith. Well, the word faith is far more than, you'll sometimes hear this leap into the dark, this existential crazy thought that some have written about. It's, it, it really is a resting confidence in God himself. I mean, biblical faith has as its foundation the veracity and the faithfulness of God as expressed in the word of God. In other words, it's truthful and it'll never be less than that. It's true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. If you could trace truth all the way to its uh, beginning and end point, you'd find a person. It's the Lord Jesus. It's the truthfulness of God expressed in the word that he kept from error. Truth. And beyond that, it's dependable. Reliable. God is the ultimate dependable. And we sing that, don't we? We all let each other down. We all get failed. We get disappointed. Don't we? We're sinful people growing in grace. We don't mean to, but sometimes we do. And we sing the song, all may fail, but Jesus never. And you know, that's exactly right. All may fail. We're going to let each other down. Give yourselves a break. It's not three strikes and you're out. We'd all be out, right? <laughs> all may fail, but Jesus. No, why? God is dependable. He swears by that which is nothing higher than by himself he gives an oath. That's unchangeable. Isn't that great? In a world where there's fewer and fewer things you can depend upon and so on. It is far more than simply an intellectual knowing. It presupposes a personal relationship to the object of confidence. In this place, Christ, we're talking about. And it's a going out of yourself. That's what we say when come to Jesus means come out of yourself. Don't trust in any of your own goodness. It's not by works of any goodness that we have done. But it's God's mercy and his kindness. He saves us. And then we rest in another. We trust like sitting in a chair. We're resting and trusting in it uh, for, for all of that. So all salvation is solely based upon the promise of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting everlasting life well that's what it means to have faith if you can't be married to her and you can't because she's mine this is what this is what faith is in the generic sense well what second what's the second what is saving faith well James helps clarify it. Incidentally, some people think that James and Paul are in conflict. They're not in conflict. They're looking at different contexts and different issues there between the two. Uh, James told of a kind of faith that does not save. And there is a kind of faith that does not save in James uh, chapter 2. Keep your finger in Romans. Just look at, at James uh, uh, chapter 2. It's a wonderful book that we should revisit again. Years ago, I wrote a little book on it, and uh, I should blow the dust off that thing and, and look at that one more time. It's so infinitely practical. Uh, chapter 2, verse 14 to 17, James, this is the half-brother of Jesus writing this, 
Did you catch that? Half-brother of Jesus, pastor of the first church there in Jerusalem, saved after the resurrection. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, James writes, if someone says he has faith, I have faith in Jesus, but does not have works. Can that, he means, can that kind of faith save him? And he goes on to say, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, the things needed for the body, what good is that? In other words, you don't, you don't give them something to help their dire need. You just pronounce some sort of blessing on them. You know, shalom, shalom, go in peace. You know, And he's right. Well, what kind of faith is that? It's, it's worthless. So he says in 17, so also faith by itself, that's a faith that is alone, if it does not have works, it's dead. And so the little expression, I have it on your sheet, I use, a workless faith, a faith that is, uh, you say you trust in the Lord, but there's no evidence of that in your life. That's a workless faith. If that's the kind of faith you profess, it's a worthless it's not worth a plug nickel, we used to say. A plug nickel. Or even two bits. I asked somebody at the Y the other day, what, what are, how much is two bits, do you know? Most, no one knew almost. Do you know what two bits for a haircut? Remember that, shaving a haircut, two bits? Remember that? How much is two bits? That's right. See, you guys are older. That's a, they're like, two bits? What is, what's wrong with you? They'll ask me what's wrong with me when I'm asking. <laughs> anyway, that's, it's not worth two bits, that kind is what you mean. He said, uh, and so he goes on to say that good works really uh, uh, are the evidence of genuine faith in the Lord Jesus. They never produce salvation, never, but they show that salvation or regeneration has taken place. And so saving faith is a childlike confidence that one has as he or she places their trust in the finished work of Jesus. And Jesus had died as the perfect sin offering substitute for us. This faith, number one, is a gift. Uh, let's stop here. Uh, because uh, these are a lot of these things you don't realize as we preach the gospel. And you know, when we share the gospel, we always share the gospel whosoever will. There's a general call for all people everywhere to repent and to believe the gospel and to come to Jesus. There's a general call. And in that general call, God promises to use the word and he opens the heart through regeneration. Some of these, and they evidence that, by believing with childlike faith, where once they didn't, but now they do. They may be young, they may be old, it doesn't matter. And, uh, and then the evidence of remorse, of repentance for sin. Faith and repentance are the first two fruits of genuine salvation. And that the faith is not something you and I walk around with a saving faith that we just refuse to exercise it before salvation. Saving faith is a gift. Now one of the great well-known verses, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, teaches just that. If you ever looked at it closely, for by grace are you saved through faith, the channel, faith, and that not of yourselves... It, the it, the antecedent, refers back to the faith. It is a gift of God. Not just salvation. Yes, we know that in other places. But in that verse, the it 
the gift refers to the faith. In other words, God gives you, if you've, if you've come to saving faith in Jesus, not something that you are lucky or smarter or in the right place. Yes, you are in the right place, we can say that, to at least hear the gospel. You know, how shall they believe without hearing the gospel? How beautiful are the feet that, that proclaim and teach the gospel? You know, you want to have beautiful feet, right? We look at our feet and we're like, boy, they're sort of ugly. A lot of people say that. Okay, no elbowing. I saw that. Uh, they look like, oh, aren't they? But really, anatomically, they're an incredible, incredible uh, part of your body. I mean, you have more bones in your feet. I know some say, well, I have bone between my ears. They always said I have boneheaded. But you have more bones in your feet. And that whole suspension system is designed by God. And it's marvelous to help take the weight and spread it out. Uh, and so, you, so, uh, so anyway, uh, uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, workings of God. Uh, the faith is a gift. It's the fruit. You should think clearly on that. One man writes, the seed of faith is planted in a man or woman, boy or girl, in regeneration. And only then can they exercise saving faith. So when you talk to folks, and I assume that you are, you're praying, Lord, give me one person that I might share the gospel with this year that, that you would be pleased to save them. It's not your brilliance. It's not your looks. It's not your smell. It's in spite of all that, that they'll be saved if they're saved. Now, God will use us. Okay, but talk to folks. And if they're not interested, just say, would you mind if I pray that God gives you the faith to believe the gospel? Just to end it that way. What a wonderful. Most people say, like, you're going to pray for me? Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> Not too many people have ever refused that. And really, you're praying along with the workings of God that way because it's God alone who can give them the faith to trust him through a regenerate heart. And it's God that will do that miracle. It's a miracle where Jesus said, you must be born again. Born from above is the Greek word. Born from, and only the Spirit of God does that. And he regenerates uh, when we say, like uh, the man who was born blind, uh, all I can say is, oh, who, what, what about the one who did it? He said, I can't say much. I remember you thought on that, Mark. All I can say is, once I was blind, and oh, weren't we, but now I can see. Boy, that describes my life and describes yours before salvation and after. I've been praying for one of my brothers. He's been pretty wayward, really wayward. God has taken him to some really deep depths. I mean, deep depths. He's, he's lost everything. I mean, so far, it's like a real Job experience. I mean, he, he, lost, uh, uh, he lost his job. He lost his house. He lost his wife. He lost his health. I mean, uh, God took him to, and we've been praying for him for years, that God would just uh, bring him to the, to the point. And you know what? Uh, in the midst of all that, he called uh, maybe a year ago. My mother li now lives in that area, and he said, Hey, Mom, your church meets Saturday night for church, right? Uh, what time is that? I'd like to go with you. And my mom said, Really? And you know what? He's about never missed sitting under the teaching, good teaching of the Word of God there every single week. And I've had such wonderful conversations with him. And God is opening his heart. And I'm praying that the seed of believing faith is evidenced and his life is forever changed. And he is not far from the kingdom if he's in the kingdom. And so I praise God for that. Once blind, but now I see. We're all like Lazarus. You see, that's the whole teaching. Not because God 
went there to Bethany one day in the person of Jesus uh, and, and Lazarus had already been dead for four days and the Lord tarried, let him die, let him bury him and, uh, and uh, even though he loved uh, his sisters Mary and Martha, uh, Lazarus there, he tarried and purposely delayed and when he came, it's one of the, so many things there, he loved them, he's weeping, 11.30, Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible and then what does he say, Lazarus? Come forth. Four days. He's in the grave. And there he pops out. You see, when the author of life, Almighty God, calls you from the grave, you hop right up. And uh, he comes walking out with grave clothes on. Wow, amazing. That's the picture of your life and mine prior to salvation. And the fo folks around you, they're spiritually dead. They don't, they don't know it. They just feel this brokenness of the world and the hopelessness. And it's like a sad joke. Wow. Faith is a gift. God's call of effectual salvation always, always, always results in the saving of a person. Within the general call to repent and believe the gospel, God calls this one and that one. Remember Paul at, uh, in Athens. He proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus there to the intelligentsia of that day, right? And it says what some mocked when he talked about the resurrection of the dead. Some said, I'd like to hear more about this. And then the text says, and some believed. You see, God, the seed went there and drew them and saved them. He regenerated their, their heart there, even in Acts chapter 17. Romans 8, that wonderful golden chain of salvation for, for whom he called. That's the effectual calling. He, he justifies in Romans 8 verses 29 to 30. So we can say in a moment, I was once blind, but now I see. And, uh, but just to remind you, faith is not the reason we are saved. It's not working it up. I've got to exercise it and build it up. And, and No, it's only the channel. It's a channel that we receive the finished work of the cross. The righteousness of Jesus becomes mine, becomes yours. I often will say to people, it's the, it's the idea in a gift exchange when empty outstretched hands. There's nothing in my hands I bring. We sing that in some of the old songs. Uh, only to the cross and we receive. That's it. We receive the finished work of Jesus. His atoning death for mine. I should have died. He died in my place. Oh praise God. What glory is that? That's faith. Empty outstretched hands. The channel Another metaphor, that we receive the, the, the benefits of the cross that Christ alone provided through sola fide, only faith. Well, saving faith involves three elements. Uh, it's simply, you, you've got to know some things. There is an irreducible minimum that you must know uh, to be saved, right? People don't know the gospel. Uh, they're not saved. That's why we broadcast. There are Christian missions that broadcast the, the, the essence of the gospel in faraway places. And, and how shall they hear without a speech? There's certain things. You must know certain things about Jesus. I mean, that's a whole discussion. Machen wrote a book on that. What's the irreducible minimum that people have to have to know something about Christ the Lord? He's God made flesh. He's, uh, he's God man. He died on a cross one day. I mean, well, we're, we're fond of talking about the simple gospel, aren't we? But, and there is a way that even children through the Spirit of God can understand and embrace the gospel truly. I know I was one of them at seven. But the gospel is utterly complex. 
You can ponder uh, the very depths of it and never reach it all. You go like, it's beyond me. It's just so marvelous that way. But there are certain minimal amount that you must know. And beyond Christ and what he did, you must come to understand who you are. A creature created in God. A son of Adam and Eve. Born lost. Under judgment. Living a short life. With the eternity hanging in the balances. And you stand at this point and hear the gospel and the call given. And it's a command. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or, uh, uh, to be saved. And God invites it. So you must know certain. That's the intellect. Third, you must, second, you must embrace these things as true and certain. That touches the emotions. And then third, you must act upon these and actively at a point in time place your trust upon the Lord Jesus. That's the volition. That's, uh, that's an Italian uh, Italian. That's a Latin word referring to the will. The chooser. God allows us to make true choices. And, and so on. So when you talk about knowledge, you talk about the emotion, you're talking about choosing. Really, you're talking all three. You're talking about the heart of men and women. We understand that. It's not the organ pumping blood, but it's the very center of who we are. You know, when I ex explain to Faithy, I love you with all, all my heart and all that in our culture and our day, it means with the totality of my being, you know, and the Lord wants us to love him that way. And that's what saving faith is. It's more than simply knowing the facts of the gospel, like we know that, that Abraham Lincoln was one day a president here and got shot. I mean, I never met him. Did you guys meet him? I didn't meet him. I, 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 was, I was down at Florida Theater, but he wasn't there one day when we were down there at that thing. Right? We take that by faith. I know that George Washington, for father of our, and all that, right? We but salvation is more than just simply, oh yeah, Jesus lived one day, and oh yeah, I know the facts. And uh, my old pastor used to say, don't miss heaven by a foot. I, I'll never forget that. Point. Like, what's that mean? Between here and here. You know the facts of it, but in your heart, in the totality of being, you've not acted upon that. And uh, that registered, and I'll never forget it. It's more than that. It's more, and so, and then to feel deeply about it and come to embrace, this is truth. He really died. He died, he died, he died. And it's the Spirit of God producing that in you. You come to say, wow. And they shed a tear, maybe not, but you're moved, grown within. And finally, yes, I come to you. I bow at the cross and receive you, Lord Jesus, if you'll have me, a sinner deserving death and hell. And you act upon it, and you become saved. That's an important moment at that point. A thousand times I've told you the story, I hope you never forget it, to show the delineation on that, of what is saving faith and the three elements involved. The ship was going down in the ocean, and the captain comes to his crew and said, we're in trouble, this thing's going to sink, uh, and you've got to listen to me uh, to save your life, because there's an island five miles away, get in the lifeboat and go. Alright? So notice the three elements here. First, they got knowledge. We're in trouble. This thing's going down. And I don't do good in treading water on the open sea. Right? Water, water everywhere, but no water to drink kind of thing. I'm in trouble. Alright? Knowledge. He gives them knowledge. Second, and they all understood it. You know, some were, you know, they had broken English and some were better at English. But they got it. They got the message. They heard it. Second of all, some of them said, I don't believe it. 
you always hated us. You want to make a joke out of this thing, and uh, I, I don't believe it. I, I, you just want to get rid of us. You want to kill us. This kind of blah 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 blah. But someone go like, hmm. I saw it in his eyes. He was serious. We're in trouble. The truthfulness. He believed it was true. You see, the first gang did not. And, the, and then finally, that part of that group that embraced the truth of it said, where's the lifeboat? Lower it. I'm getting on it. I'm getting out of here. And they're the only ones that were saved. Knowledge, the emotions where you believe the truthfulness of it. And third, the act of the will, they acted upon it. That saving faith. Those elements are involved in that, and that's what the Spirit of God is doing in your heart and mind when we're saved. Well, finally, the last question, what does it mean to be justified by faith alone? The sola fide. Well, A, to be justified means to be brought into a proper relationship with God. I mean, how do scoundrels like us, I mean, we're talking the dregs uh, in our rebellion and hatred of God. How are we going to be made right with God? I mean, how, I mean it's, it's the great question of all. It's impossible for us to do a few little good things, help a few old ladies across the street, give a little gift here or there when the salvation bell is ringing. You know, like God's keeping track and I'm always going to offset. No! We're lost, even more spiritually dead due to our sin. Be noticed, justification is the act, it's key word act, of being declared, another key word, just by God. And it is received through the channel of faith alone based on the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Now there's a lot of words there and they're 50 cent words and they're, they're filled with meaning. But every one of them carved down to this little sentence is important. Uh, it's based upon imputed righteousness of Jesus. You see when Jesus died the imputation went both ways. Our sin was nailed to the cross legally, in a legal sense, nailed there and paid. The righteousness of Jesus legally is given to those who have saving faith. You see how that works? Double imputation. Our sin to the cross, he paid for it. He's God, he's man. He's man, he could represent us. He's God, the value of his death is infinite. For any and all would come paid for. And his righteousness is given to us in a legal sense, legally. Think of a judge in a courtroom because that, when you're talking justification, that's the setting. See the judge up there at the bench with the gavel and he's going to strike, strike it and he declares God the Father in justification, declares, it's a one time, declares if you're a believer, righteous he declares you righteous based upon the imputed righteousness of Jesus. And so that's what it means to be in Christos, in Jesus. People die, we go like, did he die in faith? Did he die in Jesus? That's what we mean. That like a piece of paper, this is your life. And in the book, the Bible is Jesus. Are you in Jesus? So when God looks at you, it's through Jesus, his righteousness given. It's a gift to you and to me. And it completely satisfies the demands of the law. We read that in Romans 3. It's an, it's an amazing thing. Declared 
righteous. Jesus satisfied the law and we get the benefit of that. Your good works do not cause you to be saved. They only evidence what is happening in your life. There is no such thing as progressive justification. No, it's progressive sanctification, yes, but not progressive justification. Now for that reason, that last sentence, uh, hundreds and thousands were butchered. Because the current thought of that day in many of the churches was that it was progressive justification. They confused both of those. Justification, to say it again, is the act of God the Father where he declares righteous you and you and you and you and you based upon the given right imputed is the given righteousness of Jesus. We're talking the very heart of the gospel here. It's given. It's placed in your account. The word imputed uh, has that idea. Uh, we all, we, we all have. I hope, hope, hopefully, you have a savings account, right? We all have checking accounts, I guess, right? And it'd be like, wouldn't it be something if you open your your account one day and you're checking it online and like somebody put a million dollars in my account? Holy macaroni! This is incredible. Oh, I think somebody made a mistake. Oh, you know, that's the idea. Placed in my, at PNC, here's Terry's account. Placed in my account, there it is. The righteousness of Jesus. Given as a gift. It's the heart of the gospel. Heart of the gospel. It's not by anything we do. It's in spite of it. You see, now there, and this declaration of righteousness, it's a one-time thing. It happens once. See, it's all bound up. You know, some people struggle with, am I saved? Am I not saved? Did I lose my salvation? There are many that, that really struggle with these kinds of things. But the heart of the gospel answers all of that. Because once you are declared righteous through nothing you did, you're never declared unrighteous and lose your salvation. Do you see? Guy goes, oh, he's right again. Let's declare him again righteous and say, no. Once and for all, salvation is forever. And in fact, theologians love spending hours talking about when actually did the declaration of righteousness happen to you and to me? You know, imagine over, you know, like, like who would spend time talking about that? And, and the, rea the reality is, if you read Calvin, there's an active and passive sense of it. Actively before the foundation of the world, right? Actively. That's when God did it. I mean, you know, he has a whole plan. But passively, that's the way they'll talk about it, it was applied at the moment as a little boy when I trusted my pastor when he invited people to be saved, to receive Jesus as saved, in a passive sense. Uh, but actively, I've read later, wait a minute, before the foundation of the world, praise God. See the security and the safety and all of that if you understand the simple teaching of the Word of God. Wow. Well, for clarity's sake, and I just want to refer you to Abraham. I didn't get a chance to talk about him. Uh, he, he becomes, uh, he's regarded as a type of the true believer in both testaments. He trusted God, his promises. He commits himself to God with an unwavering trust in his promises. Remember that? God said, Abraham, Abraham I want you to get up and leave here and go to a place I'll show you. And he did. Didn't he do that? I often felt like that with Faith and I. When we left business in, in my father's firm back a long time ago now, we didn't know where we'd end up, but look at that. God knew all that and our journey and all this, and he's led us all the way, led you and your own story and narrative, and, and uh, just trusted God. 
Trust the Lord. We're really small players. He, he's got it all figured out. And Abraham's a great example of that. For clarity's sake, before we close here, notice that this helps me when I note the distinction between justification, that act of God where God the Father declares us righteous, the distinction between that and sanctification, because that's where this is usually often confused, if it is. Sanctification is the lifelong process. See the difference? One is an act, declared righteous, once for all, done once. Active, passive sense. The other one is the moment you're saved, all the way through your life, whether you're that long or that long, God is in the process of... You're his work. He's making you more and more from the inside out like Jesus. Make, it comes from the word sanctity or holy, making you more like the Lord. You, growing in grace, we call that. More and more like Jesus. Doesn't mean you're more and more saved. No. Declared righteous, saved. And now he's going to get you ready. And you know what? I got bad news. You're, you're, you're never going to make it till you're dead. <laughs> you'll keep growing and growing, and you'll be more and more ready for heaven. But uh, he'll finish it when you see him. He will. That's the teaching of scripture. So keep growing, keep going. But look at these clarification, number one, under C. Don't confuse justification and sanctification. One's an act, the other is a lifelong process. Sanctification, lifelong. Number two, justification does not affect your condition. You're still a wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this? But thanks be unto God who does that. He doesn't change. You don't become holy that moment. You still have that sin bent. It just changes your standing. Justification changes your standing before God. Now you're seen in Jesus and righteous. Number three, justification takes place once and for all. It's never repeated. It's the basis of our security, our safety. Number four, justification takes place outside of the believer, in heaven's uh, courtroom, before the creation, actively. Where well, sanctification takes place in your heart. Okay, see that clearly? I, it helps me to see the distinction there. In fact, let me say this. Justification is something God the Father does in Scripture. He declares. We read it in our Romans text. Sanctification is what the Holy Spirit does in your life, conforming you to the image of Jesus. And of course, Jesus, since we want to get all three of the Godhead here, he's the one that provided the whole basis for everything. He's the object of saving faith. Number five and last, justification removes the guilt of our sin. Legally guilty. While sanctification removes the pollution of indwelling sin. <laughs> Some of you are looking too holy out there. You're like, what's he talking about? No, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, what do we say? Lessons for life. Number one, you must be clear in your understanding of the relationship between good works and saving faith. So many, most of the world is upside down in this and not right. If you're confused, you're probably not saved. It's not Jesus and you. It isn't. I'm sorry. You know, it's not, he died and I'm trying to keep the golden rule. Impossible. You're stuck in Galatians. That's where you're stuck. Read Galatians 3. You're trying to do the works of the law to merit, oh, welcome, come on in. 
No way. And all the St. Peter jokes, you know. When you die and you meet St. Peter at the gate, why should I let... You know... <laughs> <laughs> and, and a fun, funny, sometimes funny, not so funny, really. Why? It's all based on merit. No. Impossible. The only answer is, why should I write? Because I'm in Christos. I'm in Jesus. His righteous robes. And we sing like that, don't we? I'm clothed with him. It's him. Number two, if you're saved, thank the Lord. He gave you the gift of faith to trust him. And your faith was not something you worked up, like going to the gym and working out, building up your biceps or abs or something. Nor was it you holding on to him. Some people have that idea. Faith, oh, I'm holding on to God. Oh, we're in deep trouble. I'll let go first day. You know, we're timid, frail, puny, sinful. Boop, there we go, into the fire. That's, it's him. I mean, it's all his from beginning to end. Jonah was right. Salvation is of the Lord. The miracle of salvation gave you childlike ability to take God at his word. Number three, remember everybody exercises faith in someone or something. Every, everybody does. Help people think clearly about that. It's not just Christians who are people of faith. That's, that's so wrong. Number four, your justification provides you with co the confidence of God's security. Isn't that great? We sing that safe in the everlasting arms of Jesus. Oh, wouldn't it be great, you know? And Father, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take safe in the everlasting arms of Jesus. Faith and I had a couple in last night. Faith, they made a great meal. We wanted to encourage this couple. Um, uh, the, his, uh, his father probably has just a short number of days uh, to live. And they discovered an enormous inoperable tumor in his brain and uh, under hospice care now. And, and uh, Faith did, did a great love gift by, by serving a of course, I got the benefit of it too, a great meal. But then we just spent time and prayed with them multiple times and encouraged them and rejoiced with them that uh, their daddy loved the Lord Jesus and that he was safe. And to close his eyes in death, which they, the doctors say will probably be very, very soon, he's safe in the everlasting arms of Jesus. So what glory to close our eyes and to wake up in glory. The best is yet to come. I can't wait. I can't wait. And five, number five and last, today if you're, you're, you're invited in a general call to come to Jesus. If you've never have, if you've never understood the heart of the gospel, come to Jesus just as you are. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. It's no wonder one of the great cries of the reformers, sola fide, it describes the very core essence of God's word for you and for me. Wow, praise God. Father, thank you so much for your word and the clarity of it, your salvation, the spirit of God, new birth, the cross, the resurrection. Thank you for the sweet fellowship of the saints. Thank you for raising grace up. And I pray you'd open the heart of anyone here who is not saved, that they today would receive the gift of, of salvation. We love you for Make us a blessing as we leave uh, this week until we gather again. And we'll thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. By now you're figuring out that Martha likes to drop out and listen to you all sing at various points. Um, that was really beautiful earlier and I didn't mean to make light of that. Um,
You guys do sound great when you're singing out, and I'm sure God enjoys it more than I possibly could. Please stand and join us as we close with You Are My Hiding Place. The ladies will start this, and then the men can come in once they get to the chorus. Thank <laughs> you.